0: Click on the big red button and attend a free webinar on the secret to starting your ideal partnership today Now let me introduce you to today's guest I am super excited to bring you today's featured guest Dr. Samantha Bennett Samantha welcome to the show
1: thank you so much I love the honorific but I'm not actually a doctor
0: <laughs> Well how did that get in there well I don't know but you we could have been like, we could have just like, rolled with it but thank you Doctor, <laughs> for being doctor over of love. Oh, well. Well, we'll we'll skip the doctor. She's not a doctor, but she is amazing. So let me tell you about her. She's actually a fellow Midwesterner, just like myself. She's originally from Chicago, and Samantha is a writer. She's a speaker, an actor, teacher, and a creativity productivity specialist, as well as the author of the best-selling Get It Done, From Procrastination to Creative Genius, in 15 minutes a day, which is an amazing book that actually Seth Godin, a very well-known man in this industry said, it's an instant classic and essential reading for anyone who wants to make a ruckus. That's pretty high praise. She actually has a latest book. It's even more recent, another bestseller, Start Right Where You Are, How Little Changes Can Make Big Differences for Overwhelmed Procrastinators, Frustrated Overachievers, and Recovering Perfectionists. I think we all fit into one of those three categories somewhere. <laughs> she's also the creator of the Organized Artist Company, and she's dedicated to helping creative people get unstuck, helping them to focus and move forward in their goals. Samantha, do me a favor. Would you just take a minute and give us a glimpse into how you got started doing this incredible work that you're doing right now?
1: Yes, it was completely inadvertent. <laughs> um I started out as an actor. So, in fact, while I may not be a doctor, I have, in fact, played one on TV. And uh, and that meant that I was leading, you know, sort of an actor's life in, in Chicago and then later in Los Angeles. A lot of projects and gigs and part-time jobs and full-time jobs and shows and auditions and running around all the time. Um, you know, personally thrilling, creatively very satisfying, financially disastrous. And along the way, I got really interested in this question of how do creative people make decisions? Like, how do you know what to do when there's no right way?
0: Mm.
1: You know, there's no formula. There's no roadmap. Um, Creativity, by definition, is self-expression. So by definition, what's going to work for somebody else isn't going to work for you. And... Creative people generally have a lot of talents and skills, a lot of ability, a lot of ideas. So they're standing there in this space of like, well, you know, what do, I do should I have a podcast? Should I do YouTube videos? Should I stand on the corner with a sandwich board? You know, like, how do I grow my business? How do I attract people to my work? How do I find fans and clients and friends and partners? And, um, and I have a mind that's good with systems, so I started to come up with all these worksheets and inquiries and little imagination games and, you know, little decider sheets and things so that people could really start to hear their own inner wisdom and intuition and really make the decisions that were right for them and their own path.
0: That is fantastic. And I I love what you're talking about there because obviously here on, on Speaking of Partnership, we talk about all types of different partnerships, whether it be professional, romantic, you name it. And One of the things you just said is so, so powerful. I want to repeat it that, you know, what works for someone else isn't going to work for you if you're really tapping into your own creative gifts, because like you said, by definition, they're unique. Right.
1: Right. Exactly. So it can be, you know, and and conventional wisdom works for conventional people doing conventional things. So for things like how often to get your oil changed, that you should obey conventional wisdom. (laughs) Like Do that. (laughs) Get your teeth checked. Do that. But, you know, how do you find a partner? How do you find a lover? How do you be a great parent? How do you be a great artist? How do you get your creative voice out into the world? That is that is by definition unconventional. So you're going to have to, you might want to know what the sort of rules are, but mostly so that you can ignore them.
0: <laughs> well, it's, it's the jumping off point, right? Yes. Like you said, I mean, a great example, right? Get your teeth checked. But everybody has different teeth health, right? So you could go and go, huh, I never have to do more than a checkup because I've never had a cavity in my life. Next person's like, I always have a cavity. Well, then it stops as soon as you do the checkup. Everything else is your own version. That's right. Absolutely. So let me ask you this, because one of the things that I found in doing this show is that people tend to have kind of a I call it a guiding principle. Some people call it a, you know, a mantra or a quote that they reference, but it's, it's like that anchor point, that thing they come back to when they feel like they've kind of got off path in their partnerships in life. What's that for you?
1: Well, my over, my big guiding principle is a quote by one of my favorite writers, um, a Danish author named Isaac Denison, uh, which the cure for everything is salt water, sweat, tears, or the sea. Um, you might know her from, from out of Africa. She wrote out of Africa, right? Mm, so mm-hmm. the cure for anything is salt water, sweat, tears, or the sea. And to me, particularly when I feel off track, one of those three strategies is almost going to work either sweat in the sense of buckle down and work harder or sweat in the sense of just go get sweaty, like go to CrossFit and work out. Cause it's mm-hmm. amazing. The clarity of mind you <laughs> get when your body is physically exhausted. <laughs> yeah. Um, cry tears you know cry it out like fighting off your feelings and trying to keep them locked in a box raise your hand if you've tried that strategy (laughs) (laughs) it's not super effective so letting your feelings out and I actually have kind of a fun way to do that um that I'll tell you about in a second or the sea which to me means go for a walk I live right by the beach so go for a walk go for a swim remember how much bigger the world is than you are and surrender a little bit, loosen the white knuckled grip a little bit.
0: I love that. That is so great. And it's a perfect example of what we were just talking about. There's your standard guidance. And now you decide which one of those three paths to take and what form it takes.
1: Right. Exactly. So here's my here's my little tip for for when you're stuck emotionally. Mm, um particularly like when you're kind of stuck in an old story, you know, like you're, you know, you shouldn't be hung up on that thing that happened to you 20 years ago, but you kind of still are, mm-hmm. <laughs> or you get your feelings hurt, or you feel disappointed or betrayed, um, or jealous or angry, you know, like those feelings we're not proud of having, but we have them anyway. Um, here it is. Make some five minute art about it make some five minute art about it. And what I mean by that is grab a piece of typing paper and a pen and just make stick figures. Like no one's ever gonna see this. It's not about, you know, quality. Um, But just make a picture of what the feeling is. Like, what does it feel like to be so disappointed? What does it feel like to be so heartbroken? What is the shape? What is the color? What is the mood of this this feeling you're having? And if you're not, you know, and if you hate drawing, then maybe you want to make up a little song about it, or maybe you want to do a dance, or maybe you want to get out your Sculpey clay, you know, whatever it is. But it's really just about letting that feeling out because here's the deal, feelings just want to be felt. Feelings just want to be felt, that's all they want. And once a feeling knows that it's been felt, it can get promoted and get a better job. (laughs) <laughs> right as opposed to that keeping it locked in a box strategy which never works right and i you know do you, I'll, I'll tell you a little story about this i i had a i was talking to a woman one time uh it was interviewing me for a podcast she had a podcast but she also still had a full-time job and She was reading my book, reading Start Right Where You Are, and got to – that's one of the suggestions in the book is make some five-minute art about it when you're stuck. And she did what we all do, which is like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good suggestion. Yeah, yeah, I should try that sometime. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Right.
1: Um, The next day, she had a terrible day at work, like a truly terrible day at work. And she got home, and she was really upset. And she saw my book, and she went, oh, I'm really upset. I should make some five-minute art about this. So she said she – took a piece of typing paper and a ballpoint pen and she's not like a drawer or anything, but you know, she drew herself um, in the center of the circle. And then everyone from work around her throwing rocks at her. Wow. Right. So that alone, like what a great insight into your own self, you know, like, wow, I'm not just unhappy. Like this is serious. She spent some time with that drawing and then she added to it. She drew a circle around herself and she said that circle was the protective love of God. Hmm. And she said she went into work the next day with a totally different attitude because she knew she was protected by
0: God's love. Wow. That'll change your day.
1: Right. I mean, I think we can all make a pretty, if you've got a job where you feel like everyone's throwing rocks at you every day, I think we pretty much know how that career path is going to (laughs) go.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) I think we can sort of jump to the end of that story pretty quickly, Mm -hmm. but you go in with that understanding that no, no, I I'm here as a servant of the divine and nothing these people can do can truly hurt me. Well, that just opens up all kinds of possibilities.
0: You know what I love about that, Sam, is that, well, one, it's a, it's a great example of, of reclaiming your power, mm. but two, what you're doing is really getting, by, by creating that art, as you call it, whatever form it takes, it gives you that visual of your experience, and sometimes when it gets outside of our head, then we can see what to do. In our head, we just feel stuck. Exactly,
1: Ken, exactly. I was working with a woman one time who was having trouble with her finances and budgeting and spending, and she was all, all in her head about it and really blocked and really upset and really confused. And finally I was like, wait, okay, <laughs> we're not going to get anywhere with this practical stuff. Make some five-minute art about this. And she drew this giant black bird that like took up the entire page and i was like wow what's what's that and she says i didn't know how angry i was she was so mad at the mm-hmm. fact that she even had to deal with this i was yeah. like wow okay good insight let's deal with that first <laughs> and then we can move on to the you know more practical stuff but exerting the power your power over the things that are within your power right like what can your hands and feet do right now? What can you manage? There's so much we cannot manage about the world. There's so much we cannot fix or change, most of it. But you and how you're feeling and how you are responding to situations, you have 100% control over that. And at letting those feelings have shape, letting yourself see it, as you say, getting a new perspective on those feelings, and um, which might give you some more insights into tools to manage them, amazing.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, this is one of the things that comes up occasionally on this show, is what we're talking about is, is actually two pieces here, right? So it's our partnership with ourselves and our partnership with the divine or the universe or God or however you want to call it, but whatever that higher power is. And these are two things that we oftentimes kind of dismiss because we're thinking of the, the thing outside of ourselves. And both those things live inside of ourselves. And it's so easy, isn't it, to be like, it's them, it's them,
1: it's him, the problem's not me, it's him, it's that guy over there, it's that person, or it's the government, or it's my neighbor, it's that coworker. it's my husband, it's my wife, it's my kids. Nope.
0: (laughs) Sorry, it's you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's so fascinating, because I I read an article recently, and it's so cool the way science is actually catching up to be able to literally bring, you know, empirical proof to these things. And they've been able to take some of the different technologies that can use to track our brains and so on. And, and what they did is they recognized that roughly 80% of our experiences are actually created internally and only 20% are circumstantial. That's right. But we think it's the other way around. Yes. That's why we feel like we're a victim. <laughs> oh, I can't handle this as a circumstantial. Oh, this. It's like, no, no, no. It's actually way you're approaching whatever that is, like you were talking about. How do you interact with it? Exactly. So that woman who drew a picture of everybody throwing rocks at her, well, that's her experience. That's what she feels like. Well, she can go, oh, I'm a victim. That's just the way it is. It's a shitty job place. I'm never going to like it. It's going to be terrible. Nobody likes me. Or she can go, oh, how do I want to interact with that? What if I walked in there feeling like I'm protected by the divine? Hmm, Yeah, totally different world. Totally different world and people interact with you, especially if, if you're showing up as a victim. How many times have you wanted to hang out with the victims? Well,
1: exactly and I think we've all had the experience of like, you know, it's so weird I was having all this trouble with you know This person in my family or I was having all this trouble with this friend and then I did a bunch of inner work and they
0: changed <laughs> Yes, they changed you did They changed, they changed. They changed. Yeah, which is a great example, right? Because that's that's how focused we are. Well, it must be outside of us. It wasn't anything I did. Right, right. But and, you
1: show up differently and people start to respond to you differently.
0: Absolutely. And yes, are there? Is there going to be potential fallout? Sure. Yeah. There's some people aren't going to like the new you. They liked you when you were a doormat.
1: Right. Some people don't want to play the game of 100% responsibility for your life. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: But do you want those people? Probably not. So it's, it's, this is a really, really great topic, Sam. I'm so glad you went this direction with this because it, it's such a huge part. And again, there's all this stuff looking outside ourselves. It was funny. One of the guests on the show uh, quite a while ago made this comment. She said, you know, for the longest time, I thought that, you know, my husband would lose interest in me when I would gain a little weight. And so she was very hypersensitive about her weight. And one day she actually was brave enough to say this to him and say, hey, I know when I gain five or ten pounds, you really notice and, and you're not as interested. And he goes, you gain weight? Yeah. He goes, no, I can tell you when I lose interest. I lose interest when you're not as confident as you normally are. Mm. And her comment was, you know, it's so much more normal in our culture. This is how we approach things is it would be easier to lose the weight than lose the baggage. Mm. Mm because we'd have to do the internal work to lose the baggage. Right. But we can blame a diet plan if it doesn't work, if we just try and lose the weight. Right. Right. So, so, so powerful, super huge thing. And I'm glad we, we went here. So let me ask you this, Sam. One of the things I, I, I love about our guests, they're so incredibly generous in sharing, you know, their own personal journeys and experiences they've had in partnership. What would you say is one of those times in your life that, Yeah, you kind of tripped up in a partnership. And and just kind of give us a brief story. What were you doing? Where'd you trip up? And and what did you learn from that that's helped you move forward?
1: I have a habit of being loyal to the point of self-neglect. There are a lot of relationships, um, both with people and with organizations, that I let continue for way, way, way too long, being way, way, way too unhappy um, before I left or, or got shoved, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, some of that I think comes from, you know, like, like a lot of people, I'm not exactly a member of the Happy Childhood Club. Um, and I didn't have a ton of friends as a kid. So I always feel like, oh, you want to be friends with me? I must love you forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, part of it is, so, especially with organizations, that feeling of like, well, but they need me. You know, they need me. It's okay that they wildly underpay me. I, they need me. Yeah. Um, and that sense of being needed and that, that ego stroke of like, of, oh, you know, I'm special and they need me. They like me. They need me. Being willing to walk away from the feeling of being liked, of being needed, of being right, of self-martyring. Dude, show me a cross. I will get up on it. Like, my (laughs) urge to self-martyr is insane sometimes. And it's really taken some deep work sometimes to say, look, not all relationships are meant to last forever. And... You know, being needed is not the same as being loved. You know, you can tell that you are loved because you feel loved. You have the sensation of love in your body and in your mind when you think about that person or that organization. And if the feeling you have is not love, if the feeling you have is obligation or guilt or shame or fear or nervousness or whatever, then that's not love. And you got to walk on.
0: So true. So true. And one of the key components of that, of course, is are you feeling love from you?
1: Right. Right. And, you know, it's, it's in, some, in a weird way. It's it's one of the, the main building blocks of the Organized Artist Company. I, I came up with some of this material when I was teaching with someone else in partnership with someone else. Um, And he was amazing. He was an amazing teacher, an amazing person, still is, still a good friend. Um, (coughs) Pardon me. Uh, But I, I started to come up with this new material and wanted to teach under his auspices. And I started to do that, and they got really pissy about it. Like somehow I was taking money from them, even though I wasn't. I was bringing money into the business, but they didn't see it that way. And so finally I was like, okay, if you guys are going to make it this hard, then I'll just go teach it somewhere else. So I started to teach like, you know, in a church basement in Van Nuys to 12 people at a time. (laughs) Um, And I might have charged them $75. Um, But thank goodness, you know, thank goodness. If they had made it easy for me to stay, I'd still be there. I would never have grown this business. I would never have sold, you know, 40,000 books. I would never, none of that would have ever happened. So... Um, sometimes what looks like a kick in the pants is actually a really loving invitation.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny. I had uh, a friend of mine say this once. He said, you know, I've, I've unfortunately had a, a, a pretty good number of relationships that have fallen apart. And he goes, but one day I sat down, and I was thinking about them, and I realized each new relationship was another step up. Mm. And I'd never gone backwards. I'd always gone forward because I learned from that. There was some gift in that relationship, whether it turned out the way I thought it would or not.
1: And I'm a big fan of, you know, relationships may change, people may come and go from your life, but the, the love doesn't go. I mean, I've, I've been divorced twice. I like to think that I'm pioneering the field of loving, amicable divorce. <laughs> <laughs> I may not have had fairytale marriages, but I've had fairytale divorces. <laughs> And I love, I love all my husbands, you know, I, I, I wouldn't trade our time together for the world. I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that we're not still married in the way that we wanted to be, but you know, some things come to a natural conclusion and it's important, you know, this idea of sunk costs, right? Mm. Like, Oh, I should stay married because we've been married all this time. I've
0: invested so much.
1: I've invested so much. This is a, this is faulty logic, and it's really hard to understand, for us to understand. Economists understand it, but but we don't understand it because it gets us emotionally, right? Yes. The feeling of like, you know, but I spent so much on it, or I've invested so much time in it. That's not actually the criteria by which you make the decision. The criteria that matters is this. Knowing what I know now, would I make the same decision again? Knowing what I know now, would I make the same decision again? And a couple of years ago, this is speaking of partnership, a couple of years ago, I was having some difficulty with a very old friend of mine. We'd been known each other since college. I mean, we'd been really close since college, and she'd always been kind of a, a difficult person and um, sometimes made it hard to love her. (laughs) Um, And, and finally, you know, things kind of reached a breaking point and I, but, you know, it's hard to find people who've known you for 30 years, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Those people aren't so thick on the ground. So I was like, oh golly, you know, I just, I would hate to, you know, I hate to sacrifice this relationship even though it's feeling less and less like a loving relationship, and then I thought, well, no, knowing what I know now, would I, you know, become friends with her again? And I thought, knowing what I know now, I don't want to sit next to her on the plane. Yeah. And so, very, you know, lovingly and regretfully, I said, you know, we, we, we just can't. I love you, and we can't be friends anymore. And I'll tell you what happened next. As hard as that was, and it was heartbreaking. It was, it was as bad a breakup as, you know, any divorce, um, emotionally. But all of a sudden, all these other friends of mine started showing up for me in the most unbelievable of ways, ways I never giving me support I would never have asked for or have anticipated. And I don't know if it's causal. Like, I don't know if, you know, because I let this one relationship go, there was room for these other people to to be more closely involved with me or be more helpful or loving to me. Or if I was just noticing it differently because I'd done so much thinking about what is the nature of friendship. But it was really, it was amazing. And I was like, wow, so this is friendship. Oh yeah, this is better. This is better. I like this better.
0: Yeah, I love that example. I absolutely love it. And and I would, I would argue that it was causal. And here's why I say that. One is you stood up for what you needed to be your best. So you showed you respected yourself where you hadn't mm-hmm. with the difficult friendship. Mm -hmm. So these people knew they either needed to treat you that way, or they were going to have the same consequence. Mm. Even if they didn't know the story, energetically, they picked up on this is not the same version of Sam. Mm. So they recognized the value and what it cost to play in that arena.
1: Yeah, I'd buy that. I'd buy that. And really, it was a lot, you know, it was a lot like quitting some of those crappier jobs when I was younger, you know, that Mm -hmm. realizing that so much of what I was getting out of that quote-unquote friendship, was that feeling of being needed. You know, this was a person who was often in crisis. This was a person who always needed my help and my advice. Yes. And I've got a big red I'll help button right in the middle of my chest, right? I'll help. I can help. I'll save you. And once that dynamic started to be less satisfying to me, there kind of wasn't a relationship there.
0: Yes. And what you just described, Tam, I call it when your ego grows up. That's Right. So your ego is getting fed like mad being the fix it person. Oh I'm so so important. Build my ego. They love me because I come in and do everything. And finally your ego went, I hate that job. This
1: is exhausting.
0: (laughs) It's not fun. How did I get that job? Oh, I asked for it. Oh, I'm giving it up. So yeah, absolutely. And you know, all these pieces again are how we show up as our best version to be the best partner we can be. So yeah. we have to own those things. And yes, they're difficult. And there can also be times where you have that conversation with the friend or the lover or whatever, and they go, I had no idea. I'm bringing it. Now, that doesn't mean if they keep telling you that and never doing it, that you keep believing them.
1: <laughs> right, right. But we definitely give people the opportunity. I mean, sure. yeah, this was, she was not surprised, you know.
0: Yeah, and um, that's the thing. You just said it. Normally they aren't. They know no. they're not showing up the way they need to. They know they're not treating you the way you deserve. But you're letting them. Right. So if you stop that, they go, oh, either I'm going to step up or I'm going to step out. Because <laughs> I'm like, you're right. And I really have no interest in bringing that. Okay, right. cool. Let's part friends. Bye. Exactly. Bye. And that's what those, those boundaries are. Because you set that tone and say, look, I'm showing you what's required yes because i respect myself enough to require you respect me as well yeah that's huge huge stuff so let me ask you this sam when you think about you know all the different types of partnerships i mean it's it's great having speaking with you from the viewpoint of when you were an actor right because everything Mm -hmm. you're doing there is a partnership with the characters and with the director and everybody else what's one of those moments that you think back on it and it's just like, it's one of your proudest partnership moments where you just like, you, you can't help but smile and go, man, that was cool.
1: You know, I, I, I one of the ones is actually sort of happening right now.
0: <laughs> you mean this interview? Thank you so much.
1: That's yes, that's what I was <laughs> that was All
0: my ego. You. Sorry. That was my ego. That was just me and my ego jumping in. No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, um, and, and this, um, I mean, I've had a ton of great partnerships in my life and I spent a lot of time working um, not in in television, but also in in theater and and especially in improvisational theater. I was with the Second City in Chicago Mm -hmm. and um, the Second City in comedy sports in Los Angeles. And and, you know, improvisation is nothing but partnership. The whole gig is make your partner look good. It's showing up emotionally, arms wide open, saying, I trust you not to hurt me. You know, (laughs) I'm going to throw myself bodily into the scene and know that you will catch me. Um, it's a beautiful experience in that way. Uh, but one of the things that's always, I have a, I have a fascination with Hollywood biographies, particularly old ones. Like I love the hottest gossip of 1952, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Shelley Winters. Amazing. Um, And I, but in all, a lot of this biographies of successful people that I'd read, you know, you read and they're struggling and they're having this difficulty or whatever. And then bing, everything changes and they're rich and famous. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I'm always like, wait, what happened? (laughs) What was it? (laughs) Like what changed? And I think I'm starting to know what changed. I think what happened is that long is that relationships started to pay off. And I'll tell you what I mean. Um, some years ago, probably almost 10 years ago, my friend Phil, who's one of my closest, dearest friends, he and his wife are two of my favorite people in the whole world, um, called me and he said, I have an idea for a show. I have an idea for a musical. I'm wondering if you'd write the book. And for those of you who don't know, the book of a musical is the non-singing part. It's the yeah. dialogue, right? It's the, it's the script. Um, and I was like, well, Sure. <laughs> Why not? Mm-hmm. How hard can it be? What's the worst that can happen? And uh, so we did. And, and Phil had partnered with uh, a friend of his to write the music, this guy named Al Kasha. Um, you might know Al because he won an Academy Award for There's Got to Be a Morning After,
0: ah. uh,
1: All Dogs Go to Heaven, Pete's Dragon, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Al's a beautiful person and uh, ext- hugely talented. And he's the guy who tells stories that are like, well... What Frank Lesser said to me was, "You're like, oh God, I'm in the presence of greatness." Um, so he and he and Al partnered on the on the music, and and I wrote the script, and we ended up with a show we were very happy with. And then we had like then we had like eight years of what they call development hell. Mm. Oh, it's happening. No, it's not. Oh, there's an investor. No, there isn't. Oh, there's a check that's in the mail. No, it's not. Oh, there's a contract. No, there's not. Oh, there's another producer. No, there's not. Like, endless. Now, I've spent enough time in Hollywood that I was not that surprised (laughs) (laughs) by all this. And I certainly know better than to get too excited when somebody says, oh, it's happening. I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. I'll believe it's six weeks after the check clears. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Um, But the show is now opening in November at the El Portal Theater in the North Hollywood Arts District in L.A. And with this unbelievable team of Emmy Award winners and Tony Award winners and original Broadway cast members of, and, like, incredible. And I am being born along on this wave. You know, now I'm just the writer, right? My job is basically done. (laughs) Um, So, um, but it's hugely exciting and it's so fun to see how the whole thing has come together over time and i'm so proud of it i can't wait to see what happens next um but i think that's you know when when i write my big biography i think that's gonna it's gonna sound like like eight years ago we wrote a show and then being it got produced and was a huge hit and there you go (laughs)
0: yeah yeah we just that's all it gets is one line the the struggles
1: Yeah. yeah yeah but i know that part of the reason it succeeded is because. the the, the relationship that Phil and I have and our, and our faith and trust in one another Mm -hmm. and our knowing that the relationship is always paramount. I would sacrifice that show in a minute for our friendship. You know, if it was a, if there was a choice, there's no choice. Um, and that kind of deep love, honestly, and, and mutual respect is, um, hard to come by, but so, so valuable.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a great example. And will you tell us the name of the play?
1: I will. I will. So it's, 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 it's it's a tiny little love story. It's the most charming, lovely little show of all time. It's two people. It's set in Hollywood, 1949 to 1952. And it's called In a Booth at Chasens, the real life Hollywood love story of Ron and Nancy Reagan.
0: Oh, wow. And the thought that Phil had
1: was, you know, because these two people met and fell in love, the history of the world was changed.
0: And I'll add to that, and you didn't know this, but this is a true thing. Ronald Reagan was my father's Sunday school teacher. Shut the front door. My dad grew up in the town. He went to college and he was a Sunday school teacher when he was in school. In Eureka. In Eureka got chills. Ken, that's amazing. <laughs> Isn't that wild? That's wild. Yep. Small world. Yeah.
1: And he, I think he was United Church of Christ, which is the church I grew up in. So he was one of those liberal Protestant, we love everybody kind of churches. Um, yes. And his, his mother was, uh, very active. That's, that's amazing. What yeah. do you know about that?
0: <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. It's, and you said something that's so key is that the relationship is paramount. Yes. There are ups and downs and ins and outs. And this is happening. It's not happening and all that stuff. And you could have had that all attached to the event or the activity. But instead you went, if it goes, it goes. What's more important is my relationship. That's right. And a lot of times we get attached to the what I call the forms. Oh, mm. it's got to look like this. It's going to turn out that way. We have to go on this vacation, whatever, or else it means our relationship's garbage. No, that's just no. a thing. It's just yeah. something we got attached to, but you know what what's the more important thing that relationship yeah really and cool. really
1: it's one of the it's one of the things that that helped me decide to move from from Chicago to l a is as bad of a rap as l a gets in the world um, it is jam packed with some of the most talented people you will ever meet in your life, mm-hmm. and they live here because they have to live here, um, because this is where the work is. And so that opportunity to get with them, you know, in their off time, to get with them on their passion projects, to get with them in the backyard of somebody's house at a barbecue, um, is so enriching and so amazing. You know, that that thing of, you know, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Mm -hmm. Moving to a place where there's a high concentration of people who are excellent at what you want to be excellent in will seriously up your game.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's true in anything. Right. And I mean, if we're talking about partnerships, if you hang out with the people who complain about their partnerships, you get really good at being a complainer. Mm hmm. And you think you're justified and everybody does it. No, your five friends do it. That's not everybody. But you spend most of your time with them because it validates your invalidation. Yep. And this is so easy to slip into so this is perfect because it circles back to what we started with right getting really clear about owning those experiences you're having doing the five-minute art getting clear on that and going oh i'm actually really really angry yeah oh maybe if i address that things would change Yeah. instead of keep pointing fingers one of my guests on the show roy biancalana said one of my favorite quotes he said whenever you point the finger there are no aha moments Oh, because aha moments don't happen out there. They happen in here. That's right. And pointing the finger
1: is that that again, it's that ego voice that totally and and I've done that, too. I, oh, yeah. I, I turned to, to, to Luke the other day that I said, you know, I said, honey, I was upset about something. I said, honey, I just need you to listen while I talk about how right I am and how wrong they are. Yep. And he said, OK, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> like my ego was having a fit.
0: <laughs> yeah. And sometimes we got to get it
1: out and you got to get it out. Like, don't expect that you're never going to have those feelings. Of course you're going to have those feelings, Yeah. but then, you know, you let them sort of, um, ebb, you know, once again, feelings just want to be felt once they're get expressed and they've been acknowledged, like they'll ebb. And he actually said something great in that conversation. He said, honey, he says, I can get why you're so upset. He said, cause, um, what had happened is I'd, I'd had an employee or a, a team member, leave kind of abruptly she Mm -hmm. left she decided she wanted to do something else and it wasn't acrimonious she wasn't mad she just decided she needed to go do something else and um it was fine there weren't any you know it wasn't like she left me high and dry or anything it was fine but i was disappointed and 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 a little and not and i was hurt um and so i was going on about this and and luke goes yeah, honey. He says, cause being a great boss is one of your cloaks of greatness. And I was like, exactly.
0: Mm. <laughs> She's
1: messing with my cloak of greatness.
0: That's awesome.
1: <laughs> I thought that was such a great way to put that, right? Like, yeah. Oh yeah. It's, this is something I take pride in. This is something I have a, val- a real strong value around and to feel like it's been disregarded or like not valued highly enough is of course my ego is going to get my cloak of greatness. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's great. I love that. I love that.
1: I was so busted in that moment. It was yeah. hilarious. Yeah,
0: he kind of saw you, didn't he? <laughs> oh, duh, yeah. Yeah, he's good at that. <laughs> good. We need those people. Yeah. Well, Sam, we have actually arrived at a part of the show I call Bring It All Home, and this is where we're going to step away from the stories, and I'm going to ask you to leave our, our listeners with some little gold nuggets they can take with them. And One thing I want to ask you, and it's it's in reference to your, your latest book, you call it Start right where you are and you know you said it's for overwhelmed procrastinators frustrated overachievers recovering perfectionists. which like i said earlier i think we all qualify at one point or another one of the things that i hear all the time i'm sure you do too and maybe this is why you wrote the book the big question is this seems so big where do i start
1: Mm.
0: what can you leave our listeners with some kind of advice because we talked about some pretty big topics here today
1: yeah yeah it kind of goes back to something I referenced earlier is is keeping your concentration on the things you have 100% control over. Mm. Right? Things you don't have any control over which includes um, the political scenario, other people, um, health crises, financial crises, other people's moods, um, you know, the weather... <laughs> All that stuff is you don't have any control over. The aging process you don't have any, you you don't have any control over that. And as my friend Rabbi Brian Mayer says, the proper response to the inevitable is relaxation. Mm. Right? If something is happening that you have no control over, well, sweetheart, lay back because you don't have any control over it. The things you do have 100% control over, though, you must exert 100% control over. You control how overwhelmed you feel. You control how much of your ego, how much of your cloak of greatness you get to run the show. You control um, the actions you take every day, You know how you wake up in the morning. One of the things I tell people in the book is get your cell phone out of the bedroom.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Get your cell phone out of the bedroom. Give yourself back the gift of waking up in the morning. Those first couple of seconds even, before you even open your eyes and you're just coming to wakefulness, it's such a beautiful time. And and especially for the sensitive person, the overworked person, the creative person, you need that time. And so to take a couple of minutes to just breathe and stretch and cool side of the pillow, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> cuddle if there's somebody to cuddle or an animal to cuddle, you know, like let yourself luxuriate in the waking up process. There is nothing happening on your phone that cannot wait for 20 minutes for you to wake up, do some deep breathing and enter the day like a civilized person. Mm hmm. And when I hear from people like, I'm so overwhelmed, I'm so overwhelmed, I'm so overwhelmed. It's like, no, no, you're letting yourself be so overwhelmed. You are overwhelming yourself.
0: Absolutely.
1: Those little steps, like getting the cell phone out of the bedroom, and now people are like, no, I've got teenagers, I have to keep my phone on. Fine, put it by the door. Just get it off the nightstand, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, What you eat, you know? Um, How stressed out you get in traffic. These are all things you have 100% control over. And the minute you start exerting that control, you know, your, your whole day shifts.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, it's, it's great, because your, your comment um, that you shared about, you know, the, the proper response to the inevitable is relaxation. I hear this all the time, right? There's all this advice out there. Well, you have to lean back. It's like, no, no, no. That That's not about everything. That's being a victim. Right. But, yeah, there's things that are inevitable. If it's going to rain, it's going to rain. You can't really change it.
1: Yeah, and it's not personal.
0: <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter if you had a picnic plan. God didn't go, ha-ha, you have a picnic? I'm getting you. That's That's not how right. it works, right? <laughs> God didn't send you here to make fun of you. It's like... What are the things, and it's oh well, it's inevitable that this guy's going to be a jerk. Really, really, that's victim mode, that's giving up your power. I had a friend of mine, it's funny because you said the weather, and I had a friend of mine who um, lived in Calgary and right in the middle of Canada, and he was grew up there, he was tired of the extremes and the weather. And we were talking about it, and I said, well, you can't really do anything about the weather. He goes, sure, I can't. And I was like, wow, I can't wait to hear this. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I'm moving. There you go. And so he moved to British Columbia, and he couldn't be happier. And it's like, yeah, the weather's inevitable, but my living here is not inevitable.
1: Exactly. And I got to tell you, I wasn't so sure there was that much to that seasonal affective disorder thing, but growing up in the Midwest, you know. Yeah. I know from winter. Um, my first summer in Southern California, my first winter in Southern California, I was like, this is amazing. This is the most upbeat February I've ever had.
0: Exactly,
1: like, It's amazing.
0: Yeah, it um, definitely makes a difference. Yeah,
1: yeah. And the other thing I'll say too, I was thinking about this as I was thinking this morning about partnership and, you know, things I know and things I don't know. I will say that in my experience, as things begin, so they go. Hmm. So if you're starting with a new client or a new boyfriend or girlfriend or a new employee or whatever. And it's a lot of like knees and elbows, miscommunication, misunderstanding, awkwardness. In my experience, that doesn't usually get better. Yes. It usually just kind of goes that way. So like pull the plug, get out, be gracious, of course, you know, but get out. Um, On the other hand, when things start and it really it's flowing and it feels great and there it's it's like you can kind of trust that too it's not that things won't turn south eventually they might but like i know a lot of people who like you know well it seems good but you know i don't want to you know i don't want to get hurt i don't want to mm-hmm. i don't want to commit all the way I'm, I'm gonna hold back it's like oh you know if if holding back actually prevented a person from feeling pain then i would say sure go for that
0: you're right it doesn't actually get to the result we think it does
1: right it's like don't get your hopes up then you won't be disappointed like "Mm, my experience is if you're going to be disappointed you're going to be disappointed uh so yeah if things are weird at the beginning if things are wonky then really step out as graciously as you can um but if things are really flowing then step in see what happens
0: great great point i love that and and when you step in don't go to sleep.
1: Yes. Keep Stay attention. awake. Stay awake. Yes. So yes. So you maintain that.
0: So you make sure it's just like, it's funny because you, you made the comment about, you know, changing your oil in your car. Well, guess what? If you just like, oh, I changed it once. Right. Yeah. But that's something you have to do on a regular basis.
1: It didn't need changing when it was brand new.
0: <laughs> yeah. They, they didn't, you know, I had a friend actually in college who burned up an engine in a car. And it was a guy, and he had this summer job doing all kinds of road time, and he burned up his car driving back to college, and we're like, well, did you have a problem you got your oil change? He goes, oh, I didn't ever change my oil. Well. I changed mm-hmm. it last year. And we're you just know, like, a... what? And yeah. he's like, oh, and we're like, you drove thousands of miles this summer. And he's like, ah, yeah. Yeah. So it's different yeah. depending on what you're doing.
1: I had an agent one time who used to say that she felt that, you know, 90% of a successful life was maintenance.
0: Totally. I was like,
1: you know, that's not far wrong. If you, if you send thank you notes and, you know, get, go to the dentist and keep your car tuned up and keep the house reasonably neat, it's true. You're, you're, you know, keep your health in pretty good shape. You know, if you just sort of maintain it, it you avert a lot of crises. And. You,
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Sam, I got to tell you, this has been so much fun. I've super enjoyed having you on the show. I know our listeners have loved hearing your stories and what you've shared. And and can you do a favor? Could you let our listeners know how they could contact you and learn more about what you do?
1: Absolutely. Um, Probably the easiest way is to hop over to StartRightWhereYouAre.com. StartRightWhereYouAre.com. That's the site for the book. And it's... um, Got, you know, it's got all kinds of freebies and my recipe for roast chicken, all kinds of fun stuff. And you can also get my procrastination domination starter kit there, uh, and that'll put you on my email list. And once you're on my email list, then you really start getting the good stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, you could write me back, tell me about your projects, we'll be best friends and pen pals, it'll be great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> awesome, that's fantastic. I love it. Well, again, I, I want to thank you for sharing your stories and insights, absolutely incredible. I know everybody listening is like, oh my gosh, this is so good. I got to listen again. Thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: My pleasure, Ken. Thank you so much for the invitation. And how cool is that? Ronald Reagan was your dad's Amazing.
0: <laughs> yep. In a little tiny town. A little tiny town. Yeah. Downstate yeah. Illinois. Exactly. All right. Have a great one. Thanks. You too. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to Speaking of Partnership. Head over to speakingofpartnership.com for links and recaps of every show and so much more. Be sure you catch the bonus stories from our guests on Follow Your Yes Friday. It's easy to do. Just go to your favorite podcast directory, search for Speaking of Partnership, and click subscribe. Like what you hear? Leave us a rating and review on Stitcher or iTunes. The greatest compliment you can give the show is to refer us to someone else either in person or on the web.